the Badlands. Explain those Badlands. That's a hell of a name. With renewal season and open enrollment behind us, it's important to note that Mid-Atlantic Business Alliance is still able to enroll you into Cigna PPO insurance plans. David Becker and his son Jesse of Mid-Atlantic Business Alliance are there to help you get the best possible PPO insurance coverage at affordable rates. If you think the cost of groceries has exploded, you should see what the hospitals are charging these days. Without the proper PPO protection, you could be liable for tens of thousands of dollars in the event of a surgery or hospital stay. Mid-Atlantic Business Alliance has been helping small businesses and self-employed individuals save money and get the best possible insurance protection since 1990. Having a great nationwide network like Cigna will help you keep your costs down while providing the highest level of coverage. Call David to get a free quote today at 609-577-8557 or visit badlandsmedia.tv forward slash Becker. And speaking of hospital stays... Look who's back. I'm back. Just when you thought you could get rid of me. Nope, here I am. Just like a cockroach. I tried. I wanted this show on my own, but I just can't get rid of you. (laughs) Dude, how you doing, man? Oh, good. Much better. Good to be back. Still uh, recovering a bit, but I feel a million times better than I did three weeks ago. That's it for damn sure. So, Yeah, man. It feels like forever we've done one of these shows together. It's been like a month now. So glad you're doing a lot better. Yeah, man. We really appreciate it. Thanks to everybody in the audience too for helping out the prayers, all that great stuff. I honestly I it was such an amazing thing to see how much support I got. So much love to all you. That's awesome, man. That's good. Yeah. Yeah. We love you, Justin, and we're glad you're back. So Anyway, guys, episode 63, Knowledge-Based Badlands Media. In tonight's show, we're going to dive into looking at some of the work of Ben Davidson from Suspicious Observers. We're going to get suspicious tonight and observe some things. We're going to play a couple of his videos, some of his more popular videos, one from about 10 years ago, a really old one, and then we're going to look at one of his newer ones, uh, because these two videos together give a really good overview on the solar micronova event, the possible event coming sometime in the future, just having to do with a massive solar flare from our sun, supposedly. And this coincides with galactic magnetic current sheets hitting our solar system, changes going on on every single planet of our solar system, uh, a lot of changes going on with Earth right now as well. So we're going to take a look at all of that stuff uh, tonight. But before we do that, I do want to make note of some craziness that happened this morning with cell phone outages and outages at banks and with internet service providers and, and a lot of different... It wasn't just AT&T. It was, there were some banks affected. There were a lot of different services that had outages that went on. Uh, This is Down Detector. Let me get it right here. This is downdetector.com. And you can see uh, these are different services and the lines under them indicate a 24 hour span of when they were down. And you can see this little hump right in the middle of a bunch of them, boosted mobile. Wow. Great Talk, DoorDash, US Cellular, Google. They all went out about 12 hours ago, early this morning. 
Now, on one hand, you know, when I first saw these outages go out, I was thinking, well, solar flares, because last night and early this morning, we had two, where did it go? X-class solar flares, those two little peaks right there in the middle. We did have two X-class solar flares go off, but then a lot of uh, some evidence came in regarding cyber attacks. And this is a screen grab from an open source website, open source intelligence website that notes uh, cyber threats. And you could see this is basically a giant botnet that was targeting the US. Looks like it came from China, this area just to the west of Taiwan there. Wow. So a, a lot of there's a lot of folks that are thinking one or the other. They're either going one side towards cyber attack or the other side towards solar flare. And honestly, I kind of think it's both, a little bit of both. Solar flare causing some disturbances. And I mean, if you're leading some rogue cyber warfare group, what a better time to lead a cyber attack than during a solar flare to give yourself and plot some plausible deniability and create some confusion as well and maybe increase the effectiveness of the attack with the extra stresses on the system from the solar flare. So quite frankly, I think it's both. I think we dealt with a cyber attack, DDoS attack, and we dealt with um, some space weather issues. But aside from the outages that happened this morning, we had, actually it looks like we're still currently going through a massive X.6 solar flare. <laughs> yeah, X.6 X. there. And this is actually the largest solar flare that I think our planet has seen for about 20 years. Wow. No kidding. Yeah. Um, well, at least eight years. Largest since 2017. But I think the largest um, certain satellites have picked up since like 2002, something like that. So very big. Uh, the thing is, we're about a year away from solar maximum. So before we get into talking about all the other solar cycles going on, checking out Ben Davidson's work, um, something that is commonly known, known to mainstream science scientists and all that, is an 11-year sunspot cycle, it's called. So 11 um, solar maximum means a lot of sunspots, and then... There's an 11-year downturn to a solar minimum where there's basically no sunspots. 11 years later, solar maximum. So it goes through this 11-year cycle, and we are about one year away from solar maximum. So that's why we're getting a lot of sunspots going across the sun, a lot of solar flares popping off, and that's only going to increase over the next year as we hit solar maximum. There's going to be more sunspots, more solar flares, and then it'll start moving down into its uh, solar minimum before it goes back up again. So um, that's pretty much all I wanted to cover during this intro, just talk about those outages and, and the recent solar flare that went off. Actually, one more thing for on down detector here. Hold on a sec. StreamYard's being a little slow for me. Must be the solar flare. Um, so we were talking about all the outages this morning that coincided with maybe a cyber attack and the solar flare. But when this recent one went off, this X.6 that just popped off the sun like an hour ago, <clears throat> it looks like it did affect uh, Apple. 
iCloud went out. A lot of people around the world were having issues with iCloud, Apple support. Uh, the uh, App Store was down as well. So I don't think these ones relate to the cyber attacks because this is recent outages within the last hour. But looks like Apple took a hit with some of this solar energy that was popping off over the last few minutes. So anyway, I think that's about it before we dive into some of these Ben Davidson videos. Speaking of Ben Davidson, I actually, I first came across Suspicious Observers, Ben Davidson's work back in 2013, it was about 2013, and it was from Stillness in the Storm. It's from your blog. <laughs> yep. Yep. You were yep. posting all his videos back then. So, when, I mean, when did you come across the Suspicious Observers uh... channel? I think the first one I ever saw was, it was either 2011 or 2012. And um, yeah, it was, he was doing the three minute space weather, like uh, recaps every morning or something like that. And uh, he was just, I just loved him immediately. Like he just had such great information packed into such a neat little bundle. And he continued to post all sorts of really interesting stuff. Little did I know I'd be following him for like 15 years. But um, but yeah, he's he's great, got great information. It, it's a little heavy on the science, and that's kind of the reason we wanted to do the show is to kind of use our geekiness to expand on his geekiness and translate some of that a bit. But um, fantastic resource. Yep, we're all fellow nerds here nerding out on these videos. Um, and it's not to say that we're fully endorsing all of Ben Davidson's work. Who knows? A lot of this is still up for theory. But the thing about Ben Davidson is he crammed so much information and evidence to back up his claims that he just makes a fairly solid case. Maybe sometimes he goes a little extreme, but a lot of this is trying to ascertain what's going to happen in the future. And we don't know how extreme or not extreme it's going to get. So it's kind of, uh, it's kind of just good to be aware of. So you can prepare or decide not to prepare, just make choices in the present moment to, um, I guess, help yourself in any potential future. So I guess without further ado, let's start diving into a couple of these videos. We're going to look at two of them today. One's about a 10 minute video. It's a little shorter and it is an old video from 2012, but it packs a lot of good information about Earth's magnetic pole shift and some of the Earth changes we're seeing. So we're going to start off with this, uh, this older video here. And then we're going to take a look at one of his newer ones. Um, this is the older one I want to play. So yeah, this is from October 2012. And mind you, this was right before the whole December 2012 first 2012 end of the Mayan calendar thing when everybody was freaking out about that. Yep. So keep that in mind when you're watching this. Some of the things he says is relating to that whole Mayan calendar end date 2012 thing. But there's a lot of a uh, lot of good stuff in here for us to cover. And one more thing, you know, in terms of in terms of space weather I think it is a topic, this is kind of one of the reasons we're covering it here, is because I think space weather is so, I don't want to say misunderstood, but I would just want to say not understood. Oh, people, yeah. a, a lot of people in our world, 
this stuff we're just not usually taught by the mainstream media and we're not taught by institutions really even though this stuff affects us every single day in a myriad of ways and uh <laughs> you know you notice whenever a solar flow the mainstream media runs all these clickbait articles the social media goes crazy and it's like ah we're all gonna die in their usual jumpiness or kind of clickbait fashion e even a micro to moderate solar flare pops up the sun that really has no effect on us you see you see articles in the mainstream media like ah a big solar flare happens it could be the kill shot that takes down the internet and causes a blackout and all that sort of stuff um so it's good to it's good to be aware of the different aspects of how this stuff affects us to what extent it affects us with severity and all this sort of stuff so we might even do a few episodes here on knowledge based over the next couple of weeks talking about uh space weather and different aspects of it but yeah yeah it's gonna be good let's go let's get right into it okay yeah enough blab let's get right into so this one's from october 16th 2012 called our world is changing looking beyond the 2012 from the uh, suspicious observers channel to the powers that be you should be very nervous about some of the lies you've told because it appears the universe is about to snitch play it on normal speed here for the rest of us we should not be afraid there's no such thing as doomsday it's possible that nothing at all is going to happen and if some great event does occur I believe it'll be merely the next round in a cycle that left people alive all over the globe last time to write it down for us. The floods, quakes, sights in the sky. You deserve to know exactly where I stand on what's happening to our world, but first a bit of background. We prefer electric universe theories to those of mainstream science as a complement as much as a replacement. The work of the Thunderbolts project is unparalleled here, and if you ask me, I'll take guys like Nikola Tesla and Ed Leeds Skonin over Stephen Hawking all day. So real quick, um, funny he mentions Stephen Hawking after his recent uh, Epstein Island outage <laughs> right. with his uh, midget <laughs> love, Stephen Hawking. But he mentions the work of Ed Leeds Skonin, which on screen here looks like a screenshot from a website devoted to Ed Leeds Scalnan. If you're not familiar with Ed Leeds Scalnan, he was the man behind Coral Castle in Florida. Mm -hmm. In fact, we need to do a whole episode about uh, yeah. Coral Castle. Have you been to Coral Castle? You're in that region. I I was going to go one year and I didn't get the chance. So I'm so down to go. Shoot, we might even make like a little trip out of the deal. It would be really cool. There's so many interesting things there. Yeah, so this is Coral Castle, and basically one man, Ed Leeds Scalman, somehow created this basically, you can see all the stone figures here, but these are multi-ton stone blocks that he somehow morphed and carved or did something to them himself. And the, uh, the idea or the supposition is that he would use magnetics to basically dematerialize the stone to be able to morph it and shift it and basically reduce the mass to be able to lift it, lift these multi-ton stone blocks himself but they weren't multi-ton when he was doing his i guess magnetics things to them and mm -hmm. uh you can make a connection between how the pyramids were built you know where the pyramids not built by slaves with 
whatever pulling the thousand ton stone blocks up the pyramids but did they use some sort of resonance or magnetic technology i don't use the word technology in the realm of computers but i use it in the realm of just some sort of scientific understanding around resonance and vibration to make the giant blocks essentially dematerialize so these ancient egyptians and mayans could lift them right so maybe mm -hmm. ed lead scoundrel figured out the secrets of the pyramids yeah one story um i heard when i was doing some research on him is allegedly he had this ca the castle moved at one point and so he had the moving truck come and he made the appointment and they came by and they're like this is going to take like weeks to get everything prepared and he's like don't worry about it just send the trucks i'll have everything ready by tomorrow morning the next morning the entire castle was disassembled and everything was put on pallets ready to go to be loaded into trucks and apparently he was the only one there who did anything so he moved this all on his own is the, the implication of the story so take that for what it's worth right lee scowlin was doing his thing back in like the 40s and 50s in florida um and he did it all himself so anyway we'll do a we'll do a whole show whole show on ed lead scowlin at some point but back to our video here Many people blame our changing planet on weather modification. Take wave propagation. There's no hydraulics at work here. They are just pulsing 0.6 hertz through the water in a manner that creates standing waves where the waveform reinforces itself. This is pretty low frequency, and low frequencies tend to work well on water, much better than high frequencies. You need to remember that. There are low frequency stations positioned all across the country, all across the globe, actually. Some believe they are creating bad weather. I believe, if anything, they're trying to mitigate a natural event I'm going to show you momentarily. Still, not a good idea to play God. These local stations must be wholly separated from bigger ones like Arecibo, which I'm pretty sure is the cause of just about every tropical storm turning north into the Atlantic these days. Separate those even further from the ionospheric heaters of the auroral electrojet, like HARP. Again, playing God, not good. The true purpose of it is a conspiracy topic, but its ability to expand and spread the ionosphere has my attention. It's got significant implications for mitigating damage from solar events that would juice the electrojet enough to cause critical inductions that would destroy the grid. FYI, HARP's high frequency cannot zap you or create rings on radar. That's the local VLFs. These are the ways it is able to heat the ionosphere, and it is modestly steerable in these fashions here. To save us both some time, I'll summarize my take on the macro causation of our changing world. As seen in the video electromagnetic event, magnetic pole shift could be in progress. This is on the solar system level, and when you see what's happening across our system, it's tough to think humans are responsible. The sun's having an interesting cycle, but we will come back to that. Venus has showed signs of slow rotation and is brighter than any of us have ever seen it. There's evidence of recent significant seismic activity on both the moon and Mars. Jupiter's red spot is dying as Red Jr. takes form. It's bright as well, and hopefully you remember the flash. Saturn slows as well and has a new megastorm along with cloud anomalies on its moons. We noticed auroras on Uranus for the first time, and then there's the massive ENA ribbon bombarding the system with strange particles and turning the solar wind back around into the inner system. It runs perfectly perpendicular to the galactic magnetic field. That's the right-hand rule of electromagnetism at work and a revealing of its genesis and the possible cause of all this change. But you don't live on Saturn or Venus, and it's best to focus on what's happening here on Earth. 
Now, it was big news at the end of 2011 that thousands of weather records had fallen for heat, cold, tornadoes, flooded, drought. Then, in the month of March 2012, the United States broke 15,000 temperature records alone, a fitting end to the winter that wasn't in the West and to the devastating winters in both Europe and India. More drought records in the U.S. this year, flooding records across Southeast Asia and Indonesia, a frightening four super typhoons so far, record low Arctic ice record high in the Antarctic, June marked the warmest 12 months on record, July followed as the warmest month on record, and those are all expected to fall again. And they want to blame carbon dioxide, right? Yep. Give me a break. It's all man-made climate change. No, the climate is changing, friends, but... It's not cow farts and car exhaust that's causing it. Mm -hmm. That's right. Let's look at another aspect of the change. Our magnetosphere is weakening, and if that's news to you, you are way behind. Weakening to the point of developing breaches, large holes in our would-be shield. Our field is failing fast, and it's tough to say it's not connected to the polar shift that absolutely is occurring. NASA gave us this article in 2003 showing how our stationary North Pole began trekking north at rates appear to be doubling in distance over time, then doubling in distance over half the time, to the point where scientists the world over were forced to acknowledge a true polar wander. In 2011, we found out that 2010 measurements saw a non-static pole location, traversing 40 miles a year or about 575 feet a day, or at least it was in 2010. The officials have been nice enough to chart this here, along with the movement in the geomagnetic pole. Neither of those is the geographic pole, by the way. They've also been kind enough to do the same for the South Pole, coming up from under south uh, of Australia there. Here they are together, so you can see them moving in generally the same direction. We can also see the strength of our shield plummeting over the last 400 years. So two things there. Number one, the strength of our Earth's magnetic field is weakening which means our planet is becoming more susceptible to solar flares. So weaker solar flares are having more of an impact on our planet. And then when you add in the dependence on computers, the dependence on electrical components of our planet, it's just a recipe for, you know, disaster. Yep. Um, yeah, exactly. Uh, in the beginning, he said something really interesting which is basically that harp and the way it's configured up by the aurora could actually be being used to mitigate the effects of high intensity solar radiation and solar wind on earth, meaning it could be used to protect the grid. Now, what's interesting is if that's the case and that suggests they do know about these effects, they are aware of them as they've been telling us, but more to more a degree than we'd like to think. And just as easily as they can protect the grid with that system, they can also either switch it off or reverse the polarity to make the grid more susceptible to these events. And who does our good buddy at the World Economic Forum, who's been talking about, you know, a cyber attack or that takes out the power grid or something like that? Hmm. Right, Makes right. Me wonder. Yeah. And what's the reason all these billionaires are building doomsday bunkers, right? Yep. Sure, they want to run away from humanity and they're scared of us coming after them with Molotov cocktails and pitchforks once we find out about all their crimes. But another reason among many that they're building doomsday bunkers is because some of these elites very much know what's going to happen with our planet and our sun. And they're trying to go underground to hide from all these changes and hide what could be coming from our sun. Mm -hmm. 
And he also yeah. mentioned the uh, pole shift too, the wandering of Earth's magnetic poles. And granted, this video was recorded 10 years ago. So in the 10 years since, they've wandered much farther. And I think a year or two back, the world magnetic model had to update the position of the North and South magnetic poles to uh, help GPS location and all the uh, aircraft and ships that use GPS for their geopositioning. The whole world magnetic model had to update because the poles are starting to move faster and faster. Right. Yep. Yep. Pretty crazy. The third and primary concern I have lies in our collapsing atmosphere. Yeah. I'm worried about a mega solar flare, but my concerns go both ways. We expect a collapse during solar minimum, but not this much. And I will take a hard line against this article favoring human CO2 emissions as the cause of collapse. I thought heat expanded things. Oh, well. The real answer is that this was no ordinary solar minimum. It began normal enough, but three years in, we began to see coronal hole anomalies with respect to longitude position. Remember this 2007 year of change. 2008, the sun slipped into a coma. It had become one of the lowest atmosphere collapsing minimums of our time. By April 2009, the deep low continued well beyond normal lengths to become the longest in 100 years. But April was not the end. August had a sunspot number of zero. And while late 2010 showed signs of life, it was already the longest minimum we can confirm since the Maunder minimum. And it was a bleak start until March 2011. Now, we did break government forecasted high activity marks in November, but since then have been sporadic the last 12 months with modest sunspot numbers here belying a complete lack of flares we need to expand our atmosphere. Somewhat related, this is the critical frequency of the F1 layer for the year 1999. It's a radio wave skipping measurement, but also indicates the energy in this layer. It goes up slightly as expected, last solar maximum. Back down, solar minimum, 2005, 2006, breaking quickly to all that remains of climate logic. You might remember this website was taken offline less than 24 hours after I showed the correlation between their water temperature anomaly deviating from normal cycles to the deviation via over-ionization witnessed in the F1 layer beginning in 2007. And as you can see, we are seriously out of control. Interesting to see what comes next. Below the F layer, the D layer is showing signs of change as well. Noctilucent clouds are a rare Arctic phenomenon, or at least they were. They already have no explanation for how the water gets multiples of heights in excess of cirrus clouds atop the ozone where water is not supposed to rise. But So real quick on noctilucent clouds, I've seen these before, and it was, uh, I, I, it was about 2012, 2013. It was before I realized what they are. I was on a beach in Washington state in the middle of the night and I looked up and saw these just glowing clouds looked exactly like this. And wow. it was fascinating. It was so weird to me. And it was maybe six months later that I started checking out, I think stillness in the storm and came across Ben Davidson's blog and realized what noctilucent clouds are. So they're supposed to be just around the Arctic. It's normally where they're seen, but you know, I saw them, quite south of that in Washington state. And uh, what noctilucent clouds are is they're electrified clouds way high up. They're like 50 miles high, which your normal wispy cirrus clouds, the highest visual clouds that we see are about five miles high. So how, what the heck are these clouds? How are they so high up? And why are they being seen so far away from our poles? One at One piece of evidence among many about all the electromagnetic changes going on in our solar system. 
Yeah, no kidding. But they have recently. Oh, sorry, bro. No, go ahead. I was just agreeing with you. Yeah. Recently exploded across the globe, along with an admitted baffling of the experts on that one, too. Even lower, a brand new type of cloud has been observed and characterized by its low, hanging, wavy underside. Probably been a minute since we saw two brand new types of clouds atop our heads. But what about below our feet? I could spend an hour on this, but we can focus on a few things like methane releases, groundwater pollution, or any of the things found in the Louisiana sinkhole, which now spans four acres. Do you remember this rookie buoy? The buoys flanking the flashing one have shown seafloor anomalies over the last three years, and I'm guessing that's why the central one got the job this year. It started this May, and for months we saw nothing until sporadic plunges in depth. Since the water didn't get sucked down and stay there, this means the seafloor is rising. Happened again October 15th, bringing the total rise to near 450 meters or just short of 1,500 feet in the last 75 days. Tough to imagine that that is not related to this. That buoy sits on the doorstep of a region rocked by double eight-point quakes this April 11th. It is now confirmed that the fault lines were devastated. The crust has begun to break up. That can't be stopped, and it will spread. As a preview of what may be to come, those quakes triggered seismic activity across the entire planet. In fact, all these quakes are now officially blamed on the Indonesian event. It's not hard to see how this could be worse next time. So will the poles flip? Will our shield collapse? Will our weather get weirder, the ground wobble, and our skies juice to the breaking point? <laughs> this may all reverse and go back to normal tomorrow. You don't know. Welcome to the waiting game. You won't be waiting alone, but you will likely be waiting well beyond December 21st. So while we wait and watch for the solar kill shot, let's not forget what's quickly becoming recognized as possibly the greatest celestial sight of our lives to come. So the rest of this video just dives into talking about Comet Ison that came through in 2012 and goes through some B-roll and audio. So not much more to this video, but do you have any... Uh, any final thoughts on this one before we get to the uh, the break and watch video number two? Um, not really. I'll just save my comments for the juice yourself coming up. Yeah, so the next video we're going to play is a recent one. Remember, this one's about 10 years old, but a lot of what he's talking about here is still very much relevant, just updated with more information these days. The next video we're going to watch is uh, more updated but we'll get to that in just a moment. For now, we got a couple shout-outs to some Badland sponsors, so here we go for those. Are you concerned about the $6 trillion at stake in the upcoming 2024 election? The Wall Street Journal has reported a critical issue, the looming decision on extending tax cuts scheduled to expire after 2025. Republicans, Republicans advocate for extending Trump's tax cuts while the Democrats lean towards letting them expire and increasing taxes on top earners and corporations, potentially creating a massive $6 trillion gap. But fear not, there's a way to protect yourself from this impending threat. Join the thousands of hardworking Americans who are taking proactive steps to safeguard their savings. Visit BadlandsGold.com to claim your free 2024 gold and silver kit and fortify everything you've worked for. You may even qualify for up to 10% back in bonus silver, but hurry, supplies are limited. Don't leave your financial future to chance. Act now to diversify and shield your savings against the uncertainties ahead. Get your free 2024 gold and silver kit today at badlandsgold.com and take control of your financial destiny. Life is unpredictable. If we've learned anything these last four years, it's that 
it's that. And while we can't possibly predict everything that might be thrown at us, we can prepare for it. Introducing two new emergency kits from the wellness company. The first aid emergency kit for everything from sports activities to camping trips, compact and convenient. This kit contains critical prescription medications and supplies that everyone should have on hand. The travel emergency kit is specifically designed for life on the go. Compact, lightweight, and loaded with essentials for any adventure. Whether it's a road trip, a hike, or just the unpredictability of daily life, you'll be ready. Next level readiness is at your fingertips with emergency kits from the wellness company. Stay one step ahead to have peace of mind for the unpredictable. Visit badlandsmedia.tv forward slash TWC and use promo code BADLANDS for an exclusive 10% discount. That's badlandsmedia.tv forward slash TWC, promo code BADLANDS. All right, my man. So into video number two now. Yeah, let's do it. This workout's good. Earth enjoys long, quiet eras commanded by the slow grind of wind, rain, and geology. These periods are punctuated by a recurring catastrophe. We're coming to the end of one of these calm periods, and a disaster is coming. By combining millennia of evidence, centuries of study, and the modern capabilities of technology, we can answer the challenge to explain all the evidence of Earth's disaster cycle, and we have all the tools to track the next one. The Earth is about to do something it hasn't done for thousands of years. The magnetic poles are shifting. The strength of Earth's magnetic field is fading. There are magnetic changes throughout the solar system and on the sun. We're going to be showing you stories of this cycle of disaster that will visit us again soon. This story is told several ways, and here you're going to hear them all. We'll begin with the pole shift. It's real. <laughs> it's going to happen. In fact, it's already happening. There are major magnetic pole shifts every 12,000 years called geomagnetic excursions. There are even more minor events on the 6,000-year half cycles. The China event was just confirmed earlier this year. The most well-studied events are the last one 12,000 years ago, the Gothenburg geomagnetic excursion, and an exceptionally powerful one about 40-something thousand years ago called Lechamp. Deschamp? Is that what he said? Deschamp? No, it's Lechamp, but... Oh, okay. <laughs> My long-lost cousin. Justin Deschamp event. <laughs> there you go. All right, anyway. It's the same for other events. You can find information on all of them when you search the science journals. This happens very regularly, and it has already started happening again now. The Earth began its magnetic shift in the 1850s, but it has progressed more since the year 2000, than it had in the 150 years or so before. The shift is accelerating and will keep accelerating. These events coincide with major climate shifts in the past, volcanic events, and biosphere stress that results in the extinctions of species. 
After the scientific field went back and forth on this topic for decades, the conclusive study was performed in the world's number one geophysics journal. These magnetic excursions take out several species and cause serious stress on the entire food chain through not only volcanoes and climate shifts, but extra space radiation, navigational issues with birds, mammals, and marine creatures. These shifts can happen very rapidly. In fact, if the next one happened tomorrow, it already wouldn't be the fastest one in history after having been ongoing now for more than 150 years. When it reaches peak acceleration, it will be shifting 100 times faster than today or more, and we'll just have months left, maybe weeks. This is a story with a thousand pieces, but they come together to tell a scary future for our planet, and it's told in the rock, sediment, the fossils, and the cooled lava. Let's next address the fact that this event seems to be hitting the whole solar system. Let's further take a step out to the galactic level very quickly. The galaxy has a rippling electric current sheet, just like stars, our sun, and like energized sphere magnets in a lab. In our galaxy, the wave height, the amplitude, and the wavelength have been analyzed, and based on a speed of around 600 to 800 kilometers per second of outward radial flow, they should be hitting our solar system about every 12,000 years. This current sheet contains the galactic magnetic reversal point, not the galactic equator, as incorrectly is believed by many. It is this galactic magnetic reversal, expected about every 12,000 years, that is impacting our solar system, and which is the driving force behind the overall 12,000-year disaster cycle of Earth. Up next, what about those changes in the solar system? Well, Venus's fastest winds are now blowing harder and faster, in fact, about 33% faster. Studies of Earth have indicated that solar activity, which is modulated by Earth's magnetic field, helps drive wind speeds at all altitudes, so a magnetic change at Venus would certainly explain those winds. Mars has seen more climate change than Earth has, increasing seismic activity, and is even now believed to have an active, alive mantle when it was long thought to be dead as a whole planet. We have studies on Earth's magnetic field and solar activity related to both long-term climate on Earth and seismic activity, so a magnetic change at Mars would make sense, and a major magnetic change may actually have woken up Mars' mantle, such that the experts were right when they used to think it was dead, and they are right now. Hard to explain all the Mars changes in one stroke, unless it's a planetary magnetic event. Jupiter has had many cloud changes, including to the Great Red Spot, but its most interesting change is in the radio signals coming from magnetic fields. This is a direct indication that those magnetic fields are changing, which would also explain the cloud anomalies, as on Earth we know that solar and geomagnetic conditions impact the clouds. Saturn's 30-year orbit is eccentric, and every 30 years, at its closest point to the Sun, a superstorm forms in the northern hemisphere due to the increased solar energy input to the system. It just came 10 years early, for the first time in the telescope record. Why? Well, a magnetic shift on Saturn would let more energy from the Sun into that system, the same amount that used to take 10 more years to achieve such a storm. Record auroral activity on Uranus, along with record storm activity, is another indication of a changing magnetic condition. The planetary magnetic fields are what block solar wind from the atmosphere, and a magnetic shift on Uranus would allow more solar plasma 
and higher auroral activity. Neptune just had a storm reversal, and that's a big deal. Neptune storms follow patterns just like Earth hurricanes follow patterns. Now imagine a hurricane formed off the coast of Florida and shot eastward across the Atlantic and hit Africa. That can't happen, right? Well, it just did on Neptune. And the Neptunian storm's electrical dominance suggests that for it to happen, something electromagnetic has reversed. <laughs> Lastly, Pluto lost 20% of its atmosphere in less than two years, far more than is expected due to freeze-out in Plutonian winter. How does a planet lose its atmosphere so rapidly? Same way Mars did long ago. The magnetic field collapses in a major shift. So that's magnetic shift evidence on all the planets, and yes, we've got it on the sun as well. There is a noticeable coronal magnetic field shift and a corresponding helium chemistry change. If the galactic magnetic reversal is impacting the entire solar system, we should see those magnetic changes on all the planets and the sun, and we absolutely do. But the galactic current sheet should also be delivering dust, ions, neutral gases, and impacting the large-scale magnetic fields surrounding the entire solar system. What do you know? Scientists are seeing more interstellar ions than expected. That's one. Scientists are also seeing more energetic neutral hydrogen than expected. That's two. And as is evident in several recent studies, the dust is increasing in the inner solar system. That's three. Scientists are also noticing phenomenal changes in the Ibex ribbon, the interstellar magnetic imprint on the outer heliosphere surrounding the solar system. That's four for four on chemistry and large-scale magnetism, plus the magnetic changes across the solar system planets and the sun, a solar system shift. That's Earth's history, modern observations, the solar system, and galactic physics all singing the same song. But wait, if the galactic current sheet is radially moving outward from the galactic center, shouldn't we have seen the closest stars towards the center of the galaxy being impacted? Because of the distance between stars, we can really only look to the closest ones, the Proxima Centauri system and Barnard's star. There is also AD Leo, which is a star about the same distance away from the galactic center that we are, but several light years to the north. All three have had outburst activity at super flare levels or higher. Barnard's star first, as it's furthest away in line. Proxima had record flaring activity after that, and then recently, so did AD Leo. And while it would have been nice if we had been using the most modern technologies 60, 80 years ago to see the activity of stars further away, all the ones we have monitored in this way, in the modern era, have done exactly as expected in terms of an uptick if the galactic sheet had impacted them first, and they did so in the correct order, right at the sun, and our solar system is next in line. So far, all the stories complement one another, so let's dive deeper into the star outburst idea. One of the recurring pieces of evidence in these cycles is the nova-level isotopes discovered on Earth, those that can only be made in a stellar nova event. And they happen to show up in microtectites and fossils from these 12,000-year disaster cycle events on Earth. But can the galactic current sheet produce a recurring micronova on the Sun? Yes, because there are two ways scientists know how those recurring nova are triggered elsewhere in space. One is a magnetic kick to the star, and the other is to dump material onto the star, an accumulation called accretion. It just so happens that the galactic current sheet, bringing the galactic magnetic reversal 
delivers the magnetic kick. And that extra dust, neutrals, and ions coming with the sheet is the material dumped onto the star. Both known methods of making a nova combined into one with a galactic current sheet. After the first ever nova study that actually included magnetic field influence, we know that the isotopes stuck to the dust can't make it out of the nova remnant. So those here at Earth arriving every 12,000 years have to be from our star. The isotopes tell us what we need in terms of what a star must do. The galactic current sheet brings both known methods in one, and they can't be coming from some other star. The coincidences are really piling up now. And as it turns out, events like the solar micronova at various stars finally fixed the long-standing galactic physics problem. They knew the current sheet existed and extended throughout the galaxy, but their models couldn't resolve how it was sustained at that distance. Well, it just so happens, if you inject nova energy directly into the magnetic system of the galaxy at the current sheet, it gives it the juice to persist and sustain. So, the current sheet triggering stellar outbursts actually fixes galactic physics. Last year, after many years of swearing up and down it wasn't possible, that it wasn't a thing, astronomers have finally admitted that micronova exist. These events recurring at the sun are not only the only explanation for the Earth isotope evidence, they not only can be triggered two ways by the galactic current sheet, but they are also actually needed to explain our real universe observations of the galaxy. Same story, different fields of science. So let's come back to Earth. Every catastrophist throughout history included the Earth tilting, turning over, and creating massive tsunamis as the oceans slosh around. Einstein and several others agreed that it would be the unlocking of the crust from the mantle that would cause the shift, but they couldn't figure out how. How do you unlock the crust? With modern evidence, we now know that the crust is locked with a thermoelectric equilibrium, and scientists already know the sun's impacts induce electric current into the mantle right through that crust mantle boundary. The solar micronova surges enough of that current to disrupt the thermal and electrical aspects of that thermoelectric equilibrium, unlocking the crust. So, the micronova is also needed to finally finish the stories of the catastrophist claims that the Earth tilts, turns, and triggers massive tsunamis. Interestingly, several scientists in Einstein's time also did the math on what would happen if they could unlock the crust. The ice weight at the polar region would want to spin at the equator, the point of greatest centrifugal force, and the greatest bulk of ice happens to want to tilt Earth such that Greenland would end up at the equator, and so would the portion of Antarctica that is south of Australia. This would put the Bay of Bengal in the Indian Ocean and Peru at the North and South Poles, which is exactly what was predicted long ago by several other catastrophists who didn't have that ice math from Einstein's time, which is absolutely amazing. But it's not just a two-way coincidence there. The magnetic poles are already moving, as we mentioned, and they are set to meet one another to collide in the Bay of Bengal, with Peru, of course, being on the opposite side of the planet. If the planet tilts as previously predicted and as the later math would suggest it will, it will just so happen to put the magnetic poles back at the north and south geographic pole. That's perhaps the greatest coincidence of them all, and yet just another on our list. The story grows even more interesting when we realize that religious texts and mythological stories say exactly this will happen from the earth swaying to and fro like a drunkard 
to the black sun and days of darkness, which would be caused by the material accumulating on the sun before the micronova, to the great waves and floods and fire and volcanoes and the loss of species. Now, how in the world do those old stories now match the science? Not only the science, but the humanity as well. The culture of us humans today makes the entire world seem like one giant Sodom and Gomorrah, the rise of satanic degeneracy, the loss of traditional moral values. It is exactly as was written. So they predict what modern science predicts, and even down to how humans will behave. Honestly, how many of these coincidences are we supposed to ignore? Well, let's add on another one. It seems the governments and elites are preparing for exactly this. They are acting recklessly because they know there will be no reckoning. They are spending like there's no tomorrow, because on a realistic timeline, there isn't one. Governments are digging underground, and elites like Elon Musk and Jeff Bezos are expanding their options. Bezos is digging out a mountain in the Sierra Diablos right across the street from his Blue Origin mm -hmm. launch facility. And Elon Musk has SpaceX and The Boring Company. Celebrities and billionaires are buying doomsday bunkers at a surprising rate. Even Andrew and Tristan Tate are building one in Romania. Folks, most of science is one vector, one line of evidence, and then best estimations or guesses about what it means. This is not most science. It is the same story told by Earth's history, paleoclimatology, paleomagnetism, fossils, sediment, solar system physics, astrophysics, galactic physics, modern observations, math, religion, culture, and the movement of the elites matches up. Don't listen to what they say. Just watch what they do. Speaking of math, current rate of change suggests we have only 10 to 20 years left. So will you acknowledge the mountains of evidence singing the same song? Or will you let the world distract you? Will you let disbelief dissuade you? Your future and your children's future depends on your answer. Gordon Ramsey. All right, so couple more things and we'll open it up for uh chat and to talk so um here is what's called the zanbakov effect sometimes it's called the tennis racket theorem and nice. it discusses the rotation of the angular momentum of rotating bodies and how when they spin they kind of go back and forth here i'll play this video so you can see uh, what they're doing so they're spinning this object in zero gravity and you see how it goes back and forth. And for a brief period, it turns and it almost stays in the same spot. And then it goes back and back and back. I think they play it in slow motion here for a sec. So if you take this idea and apply it to our Earth's rotation and how every six or 12,000 years, whenever the equilibrium is disturbed, it will, it will rotate the opposite way for a brief period, then rotate back. Um, this, this idea could be applied to these sort of cyclical shifts with our planet. Also, one of the parts I find most fascinating is how all the ancient texts pretty much describe the same thing with different allegory and different words. From mm -hmm. It's quite fascinating how a lot of these ancient texts... But, but you have to have the expanded scope of perspective. A lot of people reading these ancient texts don't have that, and they're taking it very either literally or, or dogmatically. 
And mm -hmm. uh, when you have the expanded scope and perspective of these different sort of esoteric sciences, puts a lot of it into perspective with things like the great floods and the, the sun going dark and all that sort of stuff. And actually, just a month or two ago, you and I, Justin, we were doing a show on the Earth's sort of quantum transition, how it goes from stage to stage to stage. And we were uh, in that same show, we were talking about the expanded Earth theory. Right. And uh, we looked at some ancient texts from Native Americans and the Bible and others. So so that show goes very well with this one. I wish we were able to, we were we were able to do this show a month or two back, but um it would have been a good part two. Although we were talking about Dewey B. Larson's reciprocal systems theory and how he was looking at modern astronomy and how it's backwards and the sun actually goes from uh, red to blue, not blue to red, and mm -hmm. how it has basically quantum leaps. It'll be quiet and then all of a sudden transition to a next stage perfectly goes in line with this solar micronova idea. And the same thing with the Earth and the expanding Earth theory And that if you have this solar micronova event happen, it ejects all kinds of uh, material and energy and that's what could hit the planet and cause sort of the crust to unlock and the earth to expand to its next stage, I guess, if you will. So, you know, as Ben Davidson was saying, there's so many different moving parts. There's so many different pieces to this that it really takes a lot of time and effort and an expanded scope to bring it, bring all these pieces together. But, you know, Davidson does a great work doing it. Um, I think there's even more that Ben Davidson doesn't talk about that you could still add in to piece this whole picture out. But, uh, yeah, it's pretty much all the ranting I have. Oh, one last thing. I'm pretty positive that after this video finishes and processes gets uploaded to rumble, uh, we're going to get so roasted by flat earthers in the comments. <laughs> it's going to be bad. Yeah, that's all right. Bring it on. As I was <laughs> saying in the chat, this is a spherical earth space is real safe space, everybody. So if you want to play nice, then the Earth flat Earth room is down the hall. Everybody else, you're welcome here. But if you're a flat Earther and you're upset about watching the, what you're seeing, then don't watch it. It's yeah, that the, simple. The space is fake and gay room is elsewhere. And I have yeah. a question. If space is fake and gay, does that also mean time is fake and gay? Hmm. How are you existing, my friend? I'm curious. Anyway. <laughs> um, well, yeah, um, there, are there any last thoughts you have on this? Yeah, yeah, a bunch. Um, well, you know, one of the reasons why I think the uh, Doobie Larson material just fits so nicely in with this for all the reasons you said and more is that, uh, first of all, there's a man named Douglas Vogt. Um, and if you haven't seen his series, I linked it in the chat earlier. I also put it as a comment at the bottom of this video. So if you want to check that out, I strongly suggest everybody check that out if you really want to get really deep with this material. His yeah, exactly. Die Hold. This Foundation. is his YouTube channel. It's called the Die Hold Foundation. Unfortunately, Douglas Vote passed away a few months ago. No way. Yeah, yeah, he passed away two, two or three months ago. Wow. Uh, but okay. yeah, Douglas Vote goes into this stuff very deeply. I mean, he almost yeah he goes deeper into certain aspects of it than Ben Davidson does. Like here he is. Mm -hmm. A lot of his most popular videos discuss the um ancient texts and how ancient texts tie into a lot of these ideas 
a lot of the scientific stuff too, but yeah, his stuff's great. Yeah. He, one of the reasons why I like his material um, in that series, I was just mentioning, it's a 37 part series. It covers much of the same material that Ben does, except it really takes its time. So he'll take like a whole episode, 40 minutes, 50 minutes to talk about one little piece of the puzzle. And because of that, you can really sink your teeth into it, wrap your head around it and digest it a lot. Because like you were saying earlier, Jordan, this is a huge puzzle. And frankly, I think you need to have multiple disciplinary approaches. And one of the reasons why I like um, uh, uh, Dewey B. Larson's material is that there's a question, which is, why is it that we have the evolution of species, contrary to what the Darwinian evolutionists say, which is it's a slow, gradual process, it's not. What actually happens is you have these extinction events and concurrent or simultaneous with these extinction events, you have this new species just kind of popping up out of nowhere. And these things fit perfectly with these uh, micronova or nova events that Douglas Vogt did a fantastic job linking up with. Now, one of the things that's interesting is that with the Dewey B. Larson material, when you add in the time-space factor, then in Dewey B. Larson's model, life is actually a time-space-space-time synthesis. So you've got a body that's made out of material stuff that's sitting in space-time. and then, But then there's a part of you, I don't know if necessarily know if you'd call it the soul or the mind or consciousness, you know, I won't use any labels necessarily, but what I am saying is that there's a part of us that is non-material that exists in this time-space realm. And it's in this time-space realm that a lot of what I think Douglas Vogt talks about with respect to the information realm, the die hold, also exists. So if that's, if when you have these micro-noah events, you have an explosion in time-space concurrent with space-time, then it perfectly adds that piece of the puzzle to where all this life just spontaneously comes from. And it also helps explain why if the, you know, if you hear about some of these events, we didn't get into the details now, maybe we'll get into it in the next episode or something. But like when this event happens, the, the oceans literally, the, the earth stops moving for eight hours and the oceans keep moving. So you have like 10,000 feet of water ripping across the top of the North American continent. And you're like, how in the hell does anything survive? Well, I think it's because this isn't just like a material event. There's some aspect to this that, that is wrapped up with consciousness and the weird, spooky, crazy science that we hear about from the, the dark projects and the, the, um, the black budget projects and things like this that I think play a role in why life gets preserved every single time. There's never been a time where life was totally extinct from the earth. Every single time you got humans living, you got animals living, you got a whole new reboot of life. And I think all that matches. So uh, that's my yeah, rant. I think at most, even at the in the worst cycles, it's only like 5% of life um, fails per se. Mm -hmm. So most all life, you know, this, this sounds bad. And I don't even think it's, you said 10,000 feet of water. I think it's like a few hundred. I, I don't think it's obviously 10,000 feet would be everywhere underwater, but um, I don't know. I'm, I'm living at 3000 feet and I'm, I'm feeling okay with that. But uh, what was I going to say? Oh yeah, man. I'm just waiting for that solar flare to hit and we all get some mass DMT trip from all the, <laughs> yeah. from all the solar energies turning on our DNA and turning on our pineal glands. And we all go on a mass 
on a mass DMT trip and sing Kubaya together. But anyway, I want to reference um, question from the chat. Where'd it go? Where'd it go? I just had it. Here it is. Didn't, uh, didn't Beetlejuice just had an excretion ejecta that recently sloughed off? Uh, yeah, it did. So here's some mainstream media articles from about six months ago. Odd supergiant star Beetlejuice is brightening up. Is it about to go supernova? Is Beetlejuice going to oh. supernova? Supernova. So Beetlejuice is quite close. And yeah, so there's another star that's going to mm -hmm. micronova that's pretty close to ours. So you can kind of see how that galactic magnetic current sheet's just moving its way, moving its way through all the stars in this local region of the galaxy and star pops off, star pops off, next one pops off. And yep. it's exactly the brunt of it's getting closer and closer around here. Yeah. That's one of the things Douglas Vogue covers is that, you know, we see all these candlelight events in the galaxy that the modern astronomers use to track all sorts of stuff. And it, they're not creating supernovas where the star dies. It's just novaing. And it happens a lot more frequently than we want. And, and that event you just talked about might be a, a correspondence right there. So really cool. All right. Another um, question. Another comment from the chat says the Adam and Eve book, which is the book that the uh, book written by Chan Thomas that the CIA classified back in the 50s. Adam and Eve book says 3000 feet of water. Yeah, uh, it also it also depends on which way the earth rotates and the severity of that particular cycle. So I think in some of Dave, in some of Davidson's videos, he was saying that um, each cycle, the earth goes the other way. I believe last mm -hmm. cycle, the waters came up to the Pacific ocean and Davidson's theory is that the waters this time will shift from the Atlantic inward. So oh, wow. okay. you get the hell out of Georgia, Justin. But I know. <laughs> um, I'm not really all that concerned about, I mean, if you're at like sea level right next to the ocean, might be good just to have a bug out plan, go inland a little bit, find a nice tall mountain you can get up. But yeah, I, I don't think it's going to be me personally that drastic of like, 3,000, 5,000 feet of water all around the globe, something like that. Right. But, um... Yeah, that, that's one of the things that's interesting about this. So first of all, I don't, I don't know. I don't have definitive answers. Secondly, Nobody even does. among yeah. The, the, yeah, exactly. Even among the people who study this stuff, like religiously, so to speak, Ben Davidson, Douglas Vogt, there's a handful of other people. They also recognize that every cycle is different. Um, the last one, which happened during the Younger Dryas period, somewhere around 11, 12,000 years ago, was one of the more severe events. But even then, people survived. So it's, you know, it's it, there's no guarantee that it's going to be like a total wipeout event. And there's no guarantee that, you know, we might not uh, uh, have to deal with something or uh, we might have to deal with something where we're at here in the United States. So I'm not quite sure. But I, one thing I do think is this. If Trump is really hip to all this stuff, uh, all the cabal shenanigans, do you really think he just missed this this big thing, this big lie that they've been pushing for the past 150 years on us? Absolutely not. I think that he's whatever role he's playing to liberate the planet probably includes some kind of plan to deal with these kind of things. So, 
Tell you what, Mark Zuckerberg's bunker in Hawaii is a terrible idea. <laughs> no kidding, like, right? The worst place on earth to build a doomsday bunker in freaking Maui. Oh my God, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you got what? How many thousands of feet? 8,000 feet of water that could potentially roll up over <laughs> the Hawaii, I mean, you know? If you're on the big island, I think Mauna Kea gets up to what? 10, 12,000 feet of elevation, but you're also dealing with active volcano. So, mm -hmm. okay, you could drive up the mountain real quick. You could go from sea level on the beach, on the big island, up to eight, 9,000 feet. But then you're dealing with lava coming this way, ocean water coming this way. Hawaii is a bad idea. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I, I wouldn't want to be there. You know, I'm not I'm not sure that Douglas vote predicted that and the t next time that the shift happens, first of all, it's going to happen. And this is his prediction anyway. Um, 2046, I believe. And so we got like 20 years. Um, and then he also suggests that the he calculated the actual place where the, the solar flash is going to happen. And he said it's going to be over like the Saudi Arabia. So the part of the, the Earth that's facing this solar event when the earth freezes for eight hours is going to get cooked like a microwave oven. But um, there are other places that won't be as bad. And we might be in one of those semi-safe spaces. So, But how can you predict what side of the earth's going to be facing the sun when that happens? Uh, well, apparently it's because in the previous cycles that he was able to study, because remember, these things happen like every 12,000 years. So you got 12,000, 24,000, 36,000, you know, so you got all these cycles, massive amounts of cycles. And they did a, a dredge uh, across the, the whole um, ocean to see when these cycles happen. And very interestingly, they tend to happen in very quantized bits. So in other words, the, it'll either happen over like the Japan area, it'll either happen over the... Um, Saudi Arabia area. It'll either happen over like the Pacific. So it happens in these various like definitive places. And somehow he was able to detect it. It was it was one of the videos I saw someone recently. I, I can't remember exactly the argument he made, but uh, he claims to have predicted it. That's his ideas. Who knows though? Yeah. I haven't really dug into votes work too much. I, I need to. I'll watch one of his videos tomorrow morning, but it just seems odd to me, you know, we're talking about a 12,000 year cycle narrowed down to a 24 hour spin of the day. So how right. can you, how can you predict what side of that 24 hour spin is going to be facing in terms of a 12,000 year cycle? seems odd to me, but if you have that die hold video, send it over. I'd love to watch it. Yeah, definitely. I'll, I'll send you the playlist. Uh, part of it has to do with the um, cosmic rays because you get cosmic ray, radiation tracks so you can actually detect where the cosmic rays were the most intense based on these radiation tracks that it leaves in various places of the earth's crust so anyway i'll send huh. it over to you guys interesting and uh, if you want to know by the way i'll actually remind people don't forget in the comments you can see the whole 37 part series i posted it in there check that youtube video out and one last thing i'll say before we go is that uh some folks are asking about my give send go first of all if you've contributed to my give send go thank you so much my wife and i were absolutely blown away by the show of support like seriously i cannot thank you enough it's going to help our family tremendously and if you want to see where that's at if you want to share it if you want to put in a prayer or even put it as a donation you can go in the comment section of this video and that's our yeah that's the give send go right there 
And um, I'll also pop it in the chat one more time. So I really appreciate it, guys. Like, seriously, like, my overblown. So thank you so much. There's Justin in the hospital, man. That's oh, right. There's my beautiful wife. Yeah, look at all those tubes popping out of me over there. <laughs> oh, my God. Anyway. Yeah, so anyway. Glad you're doing good, man. Thanks, brother. All right. I think that finishes up, finishes it up for us here on Knowledge Base. Appreciate you guys for watching and going through this uh, nerding out with us on some super science videos. But uh, yeah, we'll, we'll be doing more content on this subject because there are so many moving parts. We'll dive into the Diehold Foundation, maybe do another show taking in some of Dewey B. Larson's work on this and trying to extrapolate it all. So Awesome. Sounds great. All right, guys. Take care. Until next time, stay based. Peace. Welcome to the Badlands Media Shop, where we've partnered with Patriot companies to offer products for just about every category of life. Browse the virtual shopping aisles and rest assured, knowing that your purchases align with your values. Shop with peace of mind, avoiding woke companies with woke principles while supporting your favorite podcasters. Whether you're shopping for everyday household items or a unique gift for that someone special, skip the big box store, head over to Badlands Shop first and support a Patriot business and Badlands with every purchase. From boomerangs, yes, those boomerangs, to gun holsters, from children's books to pet food, we have just about everything and we're just getting started. Thank you, Badlanders, for your continued support and patriotism. We couldn't do this without you. That's badlandsmedia.com, badlandsmedia.tv forward slash shop, badlandsmedia.tv forward slash shop. Thank you so much for joining us. And don't forget to hit the thumbs up on this video. And a special thank you to all of our advertising partners. Please remember to shift your dollars to support those businesses that support Badlands Media.